are back for the start of our number four here on CFL Free Agent Frenzy 2023 here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, free agency has been open for an hour. The moves have been coming in like crazy. We're working on getting our free agent trackers up to date. And we've got some guests starting to come into the building here to talk about everything that's been going on. Uh, Ryan Coop here with Michael Garrell, Trey Colbeck back again. Uh, as we have been all morning long. And we are now joined by our first guest of the evening, uh, which I welcome in in a second. And then I'm going to hop out for a quick lunch break while the three of you talk bombers and everything they've done thus far. He's from the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast. It's the great Joe Pritchard. Joe, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? Receiving core will be doing this year. Sorry, I think I had your mic muted for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm doing pretty well, but I'm not doing as well as the Bombers receiving core is going to do this year. <laughs> yeah, the, obviously they uh, made a couple big moves there, Kenny Lawler being the biggest one. Uh, before I dip out here, uh, let's start the conversation off there, the three of you. We haven't really talked much about it. Uh, what do you make of Lawler coming back to the Bombers uh, this offseason? Did you see that one coming, Joe? I didn't see that one coming just simply because I wasn't sure the money was going to be right, but it's really nice to be the team that uh, players will take less to sign with. I remember, gosh, it was only, it, it was less than a decade ago where players were demanding a premium to come to Winnipeg and now the shoes on the other foot. Uh, Joe, great to have you on here. Obviously as uh, our first guest here this afternoon. Um, what do you make of the whole discussion? You know, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast in the past, but Trey and I have had this debate about, you know, bringing guys back versus trying to, um, you know, keep it together for one more run. Um, where do you sit on that? Because I've long said, you know, a blocked field goal at the end of a great cup away from a third straight great cup, you know, deserves another run at it. Where do you sit on trying to bring these core guys back versus the core group of this football team potentially aging a little bit? Run it back as long as you can, I would say, and slowly try to start working on the core. Uh, if we lose one player from our core each season, and replace them, I think we're in good shape. The only worry I have is like the entire core either leaving at, all at one time or all of them uh, losing their battle to father time in the same season. But I also have faith in Kyle and Mike to, to go ahead and make the changes they need to make so that that sort of thing doesn't happen. Just a, one more for you, Joe, here before I pass it on to Trey for a couple of questions. Uh, Tui Eli is back with the team on a three-year term. Uh, Michael Couture reportedly off to uh, BC. Where do you see on that trade-off? Because I had long said earlier in this show that, you know, Michael Couture was somebody the Mamas could afford to lose, number one, because Eli comes back. Number two, because of the play of Chris Kolonkowski in the past. Is that kind of an embarrassment of riches on the offensive line, but you can maybe shuffle the money, but you gave to Couture, uh, use it somewhere else. And then was there maybe a message sent later in the season, but Couture didn't really play even when he was healthy toward the end of the year. So was the writing on the wall then, or how do you see this blue bomber offensive line shaking out? Well, yeah, they made the decision it seemed like as soon as Couture came back that they were just going to roll with what they had. It was working. Kolinkowski fit right in after Couture went down. So there was no need at that point to screw around and try something new, even though you know Michael Couture is a, it, a polished product. Why change the chemistry when things have been going so well? And then once you know that you can do that without him, take some of that money and go get Kenny Lawler, right? No, right. And I'll be honest, I after the Grey Cup, I said the Bombers record next year will be the same thing as Winnipeg's favorites convenience store, 7-11. And, and then I changed it to 9-9 nine and nine after Rourke left. And now 
with Kyle Walters kind of saying, screw it to the salary cap, I might be going the other way a little bit. But let's just say, what what do you think the Bombers need to add, if anything, going forward? Uh, between the offensive line being as solid as it's been, uh, and the embarrassment of riches they have in the receiving core, the offense is coming back um, um, almost better than what they left with in November, and that was darn good. I don't see them dropping all that much. Sure, maybe 15-3 and three is a lot to ask, but that's a lot to ask for any team. I still don't see a team out West that's going to top the Bombers if they can play it like they did last year, and I see no reason why they couldn't. They haven't lost very many core pieces. Irreplaceable players, they haven't lost that. They've lost pieces. Every team's going to lose pieces every year, but they haven't lost the foundation stone. Is that a little shocking though? Like, because again, my point after Great Cup was like, how are they going to bring all these core guys back? And Kyle Walters found a way. Is it just the winning culture in O'Shea? It's the winning culture in O'Shea. It's, I'm sure part of it is the community getting around the team. Uh, players like Adam Big Hill staying around for a lot less because they're building a life in Winnipeg. That's an advantage that Winnipeg has over pretty much any team out east and probably BC as well. It, the community the community coming around and saying to these players hey we want you to stick around we want you to be in winnipeg for for life what are you doing after football and helping them achieve those goals are going to keep players around i i know that adam big hill took a lot less to stick around a couple years ago because his life is in winnipeg now so you keep doing that and you keep having an organization that has good a good philosophy and good people running it and you're going to be able to achieve a lot more with your salary cap money than you would normally be able to. Just a question before we veer off to kind of talk about the lead as a whole today. Um, just some breaking news uh, as well. Dominic Davis is officially signed to NBC. Um, Joe, I, while we have you on here, I want to talk about a bit of a bombshell that came out of Montreal this morning. I don't know if you saw it. Mm -hmm. uh, the lead assuming ownership of the Montreal Alouettes again. What is the idea of doing that on free agency day? Like to me, this it, it seems a little mistimed, and it seems a little bit unfortunate now. Again, remember we had the unfortunate death of Sid Spiegel. You know the the uh, team be going to hit the state, and then. The Jerry Stern fallout and all of this, uh, unfortunately, what do you make of um, what do you make of uh, what's going on in Montreal? Uh, the lead, assuming temporary ownership, or assuming while well, that's the fast track to sale, uh, what do you make of everything that's going on in Montreal, and how do you think that plays out to what they've done today, and maybe what they plan to do later on today? My guess is that the league saw that players were leaving Montreal in droves, not having a lot of faith in the ownership or how the situation was going to play out, and decided to step in and grant some assurances to players that you, the money's going to be there, the team's going to be operating, there's no, nothing to worry about on that front. They went ahead and put um, put the, put the um, Mario Cicchini back in place just to be a re to be a reassuring hand saying this isn't going to be a cluster this is going to be a cfl organization it's not going to be a disaster yeah sure there's been harris is gone most likely gone uh eugene lewis is gone but this is still going to function like a cfl organization and not be just a complete disaster so that should give players that are looking for that are looking Right now, I'm sure that most of the teams out in the league have are getting close to spending to the cap. Montreal's lost a lot of players. They probably have cap room. So players that put money first in their contracts are probably looking at Montreal going right now thinking, that might be the place I'm playing this year. So having that kind of assurance that everything's going to be run as business as usual is going to help Montreal rebuild after all their losses over the past couple of weeks. Just a quick follow-up before I toss it to Trey. There's people that view this as a step back, but all the good in the last two years have kind of been uh, 
erased by this unfortunate uh, set of circumstances with regards to Montreal ownership. Do you worry about a step back, or was that something that the lead was trying to prevent in assuming? I mean, I, I, I realize you kind of answered that question already, that say that, you know, money isn't the problem, all that kind of thing. But what do you think of the, about the momentum in Montreal? Now we're going to be joined by Cliffy D from the Alouette Light Dead podcast uh, later on today, who will have some thoughts uh, for sure. But do you worry about the stall of momentum with this, or does the CFL kind of stepping in, kind of prevent that from happening. I think that's exactly what they're trying to prevent. They're, they put the, they put, they put Mario Cicchini back in place. He had been let go by the previous, by the previous ownership. Uh, but he's been running the team with success for the past few years. They obviously had a conflict uh, of some sort and Cliff and Cliffy could probably tell you a lot more about the situation on the ground and what's going on there, but bringing him back and letting Danny Machocha run with things is, is a signal that are saying, we're going to try to keep what we have going here going. And we're willing to, we're willing to step in to ensure that happens. And if they can find, a local owner that can that can keep the momentum going it'll this this whole thing we're not even going to remember in a few years what do you think of the pre tampering window do you like it do you like oh, it if it's kind of disclosed early or does it remove the drama of today where, where do you sit on that it removes some drama but it slowly lets the news trickle out over the over the course of a week instead of hey if you can't pay attention for th- two or three hours on free agency day, you're going to miss a whole lot. So it, re- it, it helps as a fan to see things trickle out as opposed to having it all slam there. We know te- teams were talking to players before they were officially free agents. Anyway, making it legal for a, t- for a short time window eliminates some of the temptation to try to game the system. Everybody playing by the same rules makes it uh, just makes it look a lot better when free agency hits and all of a sudden the top 10, 15 free agents off the board within the first hour. <laughs> Trey? Yeah, so I, I can't, I apologize to whoever made the tweet, but somebody, I saw a tweet saying that last time Montreal was under league ownership, a lot of the financial strain came down on the three community-owned teams. And as you're a podcaster of one of the three community-owned teams, <laughs> And I'm a big fan of them too. That's my question. Should we, the Bombers, the Rough Riders, and the Elks, should we be funding the Montreal Alouettes? And kind of a part B, if there's some unstable unstable in a Montreal, what do you think that looks to for our, does that affect Atlantic Canada? I don't think Atlantic Canada is something we need to be worried about right now. Uh, it's been talked about and talked about and talked about. But until there's a stadium plan in place out there, that's all it is is talk. So really what we need to focus on is keeping the nine teams strong. If it means that for a short time, the league is footing the bill on the Alouettes to ensure that the, that the team gets into the right hands to proceed and keep the momentum they built over the past few years, uh, a few dollars out of the community owned teams pockets, plus other teams too. They're not, they're, they also were paying a part of this. It's just we don't know how much because the three community-owned teams have public disclosures and the private teams don't. So a few dollars here and there to keep the league moving forward and trying to build momentum in Montreal where there was none, It's if it works, it's a definitely going to be a solid investment. What do you feel about Prukop coming back for another year? You know, he's kind of been the new strevler kind of type play do you think that's a good a uh, good uh re not re uh, bring him back into the fold for those third and shorts yeah because he knows what he's doing on that uh the buck pierce playbook is very well geared to the second and third and shorts uh i've been paying a lot more attention to those because a there's been a lot of creativity coming out of the bombers and b the guy the guy before prukov sean mcguire happened to be from my mother-in-law's hometown so i had to pay a little bit closer attention to that anyway uh, so it just it made it, it it makes it a lot more fun on the second and third and shorts when you have somebody in there that knows what they're doing uh and can and teams have to plan around the potential for big play on a play where most canadian quarterbacks just dive forward 
having creativity there and scaring the and scaring the other teams into giving you that yard makes it so much more fun to watch. All right. Perfect. I'm going to throw it over to our resident Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan. I think he'll have some good questions for you. He threw one in the uh, in the chat and we missed it. Adam, let him have it. Uh, what do you think about the – what questions you got? Well, the big question I've got again on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I think, is two things. One, uh, the kicking game – thanks, thanks, Trey. Thanks. Anyways, uh, the kicking game, I think, uh, probably was maybe one of the weaker points maybe in the Winnipeg team. I mean, you looked last year – there was those odd kicks when they needed that odd field goal that maybe would have won them a couple games. Again, you can't complain with the record, but that's one thing I think maybe Winnipeg might be wanting to look at. Uh, the other thing I got a question though for you really, Joe, is on the defense, this is starting to become an aged defensive line. And we've seen in other places that sometimes that isn't the most advantageous. You look at the secondary or the linebacking core of Winnipeg, Yes, Adam Big Hill is still an elite player, but how long is this going to go on until they need to start bringing in some young blood, or do they have that young depth behind them already? Or that, and the defense is what I worry about more when we're talking about aging uh, on this team. Um, but uh, I'm not overly concerned. Just as long as, just as long as the whole defense doesn't decide to get old at the same time or leave or any anything like that, as long as it's bits and pieces, I have faith in in the scouting of, from this team. Uh, Ted and Danny, I have faith in them to go find the next guy that steps in for Willie or Jackson whenever it's time for them to go, or having somebody that's going to be able to step into Adam Big Hill's shoes and take a position that's a 10 down to, you know, an eight, something that's, you know, you never, you're never going to be able to replace an Adam Big Hill straight up, but to be able to mitigate that loss, I have a lot of faith in this team to be able to find the next guys coming up. I guess with that being said, I've, I just heard what you were saying about Montreal. I totally agree. I mean, you need to have some uh, definite uh, help. And if the league can go and do something with the, with the Alouettes and hold on to them for a few months until they find the right owner, it makes total sense of what you were saying there. Uh, another problem that we have in the league, again, is still the attendance, I believe, is still an issue in Toronto. Uh, is there anything a guy can do with this? Or what's what's your thoughts on that? I think I think what the league needs to do is find a way to make attendance money less important. And the only way to do that is to have a better TV deal. They're stuck with TSN for the next three years, I believe. And it's been a good partnership. TSN takes care of the league pretty well. I know that there's complaints out there that they don't get on CTV, that there's not a lot of promotion. But you know where to go find your games. That's the That's important. I know that they're also looking into the U.S. for more TV money. That's always that's always going to you know it's always going to be tantalizing to go. Hey, look, the NFL's making billions. Let's see if we can make millions in the U.S. That's going to be a tougher sell. But if they can get if they can make TV money more of a percent of what they're doing, it'll be easier for teams to make it easier for to drop ticket prices, drop concession prices try to make the atmosphere more more attuned to people that we we're a different generation our our generation we've got we've got a lot more ways of we've got a lot more ways of entertaining ourselves than our parents did so trying to reach our generation and younger you're going to have to find a way to make it cheaper make it more make it more of a party atmosphere make it more worth their while to come on out and if teams are relying on attendance revenue as a huge chunk of of their of how they're going to make their money it's harder to make it's harder to make gambles like that so if they can find some more tv money to play with it make it easier to try to draw a different kind of fan out otherwise we're going to sit here and talk about attendance uh, here in 10 years and say oh they need to they need to raise attendance to pay their bills if we're just still doing that in 10 years we're in trouble does the does the cfl have a problem in the fact that they look different than the american game and my, my question i guess is 
Because going to four downs, if and when, one day, and that's a debate that will never quiet down as far as I'm concerned until it actually happens. So my, my question, Joe, to you is point blank this one. Does changing it to potentially four downs fit any problems at all? No. And here's why I say that. There is a very hardcore group of fans that go to the games, that watch the games. It's very tight-knit, hardcore group of fans that you would alienate completely by making a change of that magnitude. In exchange, you're trying to reach people, and the idea of trying to make that change is to reach people that watch the NFL exclusively. The problem is they're watching the NFL exclusively because the NFL is the big dog in town. They're the ones that bark the loudest. Changing the CFL game to four downs makes it co- makes the comparisons negative because if you keep it to three downs, if you keep the kicking game rules, if you keep the field rules, you at least can sell that you're a different game. You're a different product. Come take a look at us because we're doing something different than the NFL is. The more your changes align with what the NFL is doing, the more that the production values and the advertising make it clear that you're second rate and you're not going to a get those fans you're chasing and b you're going to chase away the fans that have been supporting you from the get-go last one for me last one for me here real quickly are you surprised that dalton shown and peanut schaefer baker did not get nfl contracts i'm a little bit more surprised by schaefer baker honestly um because I have heard the whispers about Sean being NFL scout saying that he's a product of the Waggle. Who's to say? But he did seem to have a very, he did seem to have a quality of being able to find an open hole in his own. And that's pretty, that's a really nice skill to have. So I'm going to be really happy to see him back. I just want to go back to you talking about I, I find the whole NFL CFL debate because I'm just a big football guy. Anything I can bet on, mm-hmm. I'll watch. So then what is the difference? Is like because why is there just such what in your eyes, why is there such a nose up in the air from the CFL, like from other people looking at the CFL? And then and you made a point also of you got you're gonna lose that that dedicated CFL hardcores. But can you not make the argument that maybe the CFL is killing itself by pandering to those fans and missing out on the fans that 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 are more NFL and American driven? That's possible, but you're not going to reach those fans by changing your game. You're going to reach those fans by being louder, by being by have by throwing money around left and right. And that's just not something the CFL can do. It's not really a choice between the games for the people that choose the NFL exclusively over the CFL. It's simply because they're the biggest and the they're the biggest. They have the first dibs at talent. They come they come across as hey, we're the best. We're the only game in town. Even though there's four or five games of town now these days. <laughs> I mean really between the XFL, USFL, all that. But it, it, pandering to the hardcore to keep you don't really have to do a whole lot of that but you also can't rip away the foundation of everything that they've that they that their traditions rely on i i know that there's people that build their schedules around labor day the rematch games the week later great cup in november you screw around with that and you screw around with their game and if they're not coming who is i got that's one more a, question that's the biggest that's Sorry. that the idea finding new fans to be a part of that group is the biggest challenge the CFL has. And there are no easy answers. No, I agree with you. I, I find I like you, like you said, I like it. The CFL, the rules were different. We're Canadian. We got that. But then you also have, you have to find a way to get that money to become the big dog and be louder. But my last question, Mike and I got pretty heated about this sometime. Does home field matter? Oh, I would say so. Yeah. It's not it's not as big of a thing as could be as some make it out to be. But just being able to have your own routines, being in the same city you're in, being used to the field conditions. It's worth three points in my brain. As okay, a Mike, guy that goes and, with you. 
Yeah. And as a guy that uh, does other sports like myself with, with hockey, I mean, you always want the home ice advantage. I mean, it don't matter. You're in your own rink. You're in your own barn. You're in your own dressing room. You know how to get, how to set up. You're, you're going home at night. Uh, you don't have to drive for a long distance or go for a long flight. Uh, it just totally works to have that home field advantage. I just wanted to bring up also the four down thing, in my opinion here, because the guy was asking here. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with Joe. I mean, take a look at what the XFL right now, they're a week away from starting their first ever game. They're not sold out. They, they are having oh, the same problems. As, no. And I mean, they play the same similar game to the NFL. It's it's not the game. It's not the issue of the rules. It's the issue of the marketing and getting people exposed to the Canadian football game. And I think if you have a big, big uh, following in the United States, you'd eventually maybe slowly pull the guys back in. But it's not the game itself that's the issue here. I think it's always the marketing, the advertising. And again, it's the big thing is, I think it's the uh, fact that you don't go into the United States. And again, that's probably an error from back in the 90s when they went in there. But the U.S. doesn't feel connected to the game because it's all Canadian. No, they don't. So I can tell you that for from personal experience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there's like a little pockets, though. If you ever check it out, uh, Vegas, I know there's a pocket of fans that love uh, the CFL because the CFL was there. Same thing in Miami, actually, in Florida. There is a diehard set of Manatee fans. And of course, in Baltimore, where Stallions were, there's a little packet of CFL fans. But if you could go and you could advertise out the rest of the Canadian game out to those uh, teams and out to those uh, uh, cities, I think you probably have a better chance and you don't have to change the game. Right. And the, and the way you do that is by getting players' colleges involved. There are players from the big colleges, Alabama, Ohio State, what have you. You get those, you get those schools you get you get people that love those schools to and tell them, hey, remember that guy three years ago that made that big play against your rival? Hey, he's playing in the CFL. You can watch him on this channel at this time. Come take a look. You start doing that and you start selling the game that way, and you have at least a half a chance of drawing a decent following. You're never going to hit NFL numbers in the States. It's just never going to happen. But you can get yourself a few more million dollars and a nice cushion if you can make people want to come watch the game. Well, Joe, I know we're here at the end of your time here, uh, joining us here today. We appreciate you coming on to talk about bombers and all this other stuff here on CFL free agent frenzy 2023. Uh, before we let you go, uh, where can people find your podcast or anything else you have got going on? Uh, go ahead and plug your stuff. Yep. So you can find uh, me on Twitter at USFL Techmo. You can find the our show, the Rouge, White, and Blue, wherever you find your podcast for the most part. And uh, the podcast is also on Twitter at RWB Podcast. Right on. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us here today, Joe. Enjoy the rest of the day, and uh, we'll see if any more big signings come in. I'm sure there will be plenty. Uh, enjoy the rest of the offseason as well. Take care. All right, and as we say goodbye to Joe, thanks again to him for joining us here. We uh, we moved from talking about the Bombers to the other side of the prairies. Adam Hawk back in just for this specific little piece uh, because we've got uh, Stephen from the Piffles Podcast joining us here on the show as well. Let's welcome him in. in. Good day to you, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you guys doing today? We are doing great. It's a busy day. Lots, lots of happening. Lots to keep on top of here. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. You, of course, with the rest of the crew on the Piffles podcast, cover the riders regularly. So we figure this is the perfect time to dive into what the uh, the riders have done thus far or need to do here uh, on free agency. Let's talk about the first, uh, the two most recent big moves: uh, the offensive line, Peter Godber, Philip Blake, both reportedly. Uh, coming over to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, uh, Stephen, what do you think of that? The honestly, the the Godbear signing shocked me a little bit, only because we all expected uh, Dan Clark to be our center again next year. He's he's the guy. He's just you just expect him to be the guy. But as soon as they were linked to Sirocco out of uh, out of Ottawa, you started to wonder what was what was really happening. And the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. I'm I'm still hoping they bring Clark back as that either that sixth O lineman or 
more realistically as a fourth Canadian on your starting O-line. But it's going to be a different look. That's uh, It's a good signing. And Alex said it best. Uh, he wrote an article not long after the, the Blake signing. Uh, we righted a wrong bringing Philip Blake back. We never should have let him walk uh, a few years back when, when he was here the first time. We, we were weak at O-line at that point. Or, sorry, we were strong, but we watched four guys walk out the door in one offseason, including Blake and Bladek, both to Toronto. So so seeing Blake back is good. Obviously, shoring up the O-line was an absolute necessity, and that's what they've done. So if you can also go, Steve, and uh, talk a little bit, I guess, about, because we're definitely shoring up that offensive line pretty well in Saskatchewan. Probably another one that I would probably talk about, you you just mentioned him, Philip Blake. He's a guy that can play almost anywhere on that line, right? Absolutely. He's he's played guard. He's played tackle in his career. He, he was in uh, Toronto as a tackle last season. That's what made me think we still see that Dan Clark signing as you know, your three interior, you've got Logan Furland, you've got uh, Godbear, and now, uh, um, and then Dan Clark, as Clark's played guard in his career. And then you can move Philip Blake to the outside. It gives you so much flexibility to be able to play four or five Canadians on the offensive line. And Blake is that guy that if you do run into issues where somebody gets hurt, he can move around. And if you've got Dan Clark at guard and say Godbear gets hurt, you can move Clark to center, Blake to to guard, and you won't see much of a hiccup. So it's it's one of those kind of shocking, shockingly versatile training or signings that you absolutely need, especially given how bad our O line was in in uh, 2022. We've got another signing, looks like, being reported here for the Riders. Uh, wide receiver kick returner Sean Bain, formerly of the Calgary Stampeders. We know the Riders' wide receiver core is going to look different this year. Uh, no Kyron Moore, no Shaq Evans, no Duke Williams. Uh, seems like Keon Schaefer-Baker surprisingly actually still sticking around and not off to the NFL. Uh, so they're going to look a little bit different. Jake Winicky added in already. Sean Bain now. I guess let's talk about Trevor Harris and uh, his new arsenal of weapons. What do you make of the the rest of the offense of what we've seen here so far? You know, the only thing that worries me is we are, as it sits right now, obviously there's still an entire off season. There's training camp. There's a lot of time to go, but the Riders don't have a clear number one receiver right now. Bain is a great, uh, you know, that second, third, fourth guy. He's going to bring a lot of speed to the, uh, the receiving core. Probably replace Karan Moore. Basically that's a, similar player replacement right there. Uh, Jake Winicky is a, a top receiver, but he's coming off of a pretty bad year. And he would, he would agree with that. I would assume. So you, you don't count on him as your number one. They, they lost Shaq Evans. They lost Duke Williams. That's, that's a lot of quality at the top, uh, at the top end of your receiving core. They're still out of any position on the field right now. I think that's the position that they really need to look at. And, resolve because it's it's worrisome i'll argue a little bit on that one steve i think that uh you could probably go and you could probably count keon schaefer baker as the number one receiver in saskatchewan i mean last year he had a lot of receptions thrown to him he had a lot of plays and a lot of good touchdowns on there however you're right there's a guy always that goes and drags him off of keon schaefer baker uh that being said, you've got Jawan Breskison coming in. What can you tell us about him? I mean, he seems like a guy that just, if he could stay healthy, I think he's probably one of the guys you'll probably uh, rely on quite a bit uh, going forward. He'd, he'd be another guy that kind of fits into that two, three, four spot right alongside Bean. Uh, great receiver, but the key word you mentioned is if he stays healthy. He, he hasn't played a lot over his last three seasons in the CFL. That, that's scary. And he's he's now hit his age 30 season. So that's when you start to see that drop off. And he's already hit it from an injury perspective. But I'm one of those, I as soon as he tweeted out that image, uh, I, I can't remember who it is, but the green and white guy, uh, I, I was first in there like, I hope this means you're coming here because he's a great receiver and he's even an even better person. If you ever follow him on Twitter, he's one of those positivity first guys. And I love people like that. So I was I was very excited to see him sign here. And if he can stay healthy, he's one of those that does add a dimension to the team. Now, you mentioned Keon Schaefer-Baker. The thing that worries me about putting him in at that number one spot is he's never shown 
enough to be that guy yet. He's always had, you know, Shaq Evans, Duke Williams. He's had somebody above him, like you mentioned, taking that number one receiver, number one defender off of him, leaving him open to get a ton of yards and a ton of receptions. Um, do I think he has the potential? Absolutely. I'm just not ready to put it, to go into a season with him as our top guy. So if there's anybody on the roster, there's nobody on the roster that you think would be number one right now. I think the only one that you maybe add there is maybe Tevin Jones. But again, he had only one season so far with Saskatchewan. So that's pretty tough to give him an opportunity to just be the uh, the lead guy. Although he did look pretty good last year. Jones looks good. Again, we've, we've got a lot of those, you know, those bottom half of the receiving core guys that you do need. You need, you need a team. You can't just have number one receivers. You need those guys that can come in and, and take spots up. And Jones looked okay. I'm not ready to, to say he looked great or that he's, you know, anything more than he was last season, but he's a guy that they can count on for those, you know, two, three, 400 yard uh, seasons type of thing. I, I don't know what he's got yet. And again, he's, touching 30 um i i'd rather see them look at younger guys for a longer term potential but we all know in the cfl long term isn't necessarily with your own team anyways uh, especially in this day of one and two year deals so it's that's that's the part again that's the the position that worries me more than anywhere else and it has since free agency kicked off or at least since we got to this tampering window Sure. The one question I also have for you, I guess, is uh, I got to get your thoughts on the quarterback situation. I mean, everybody in Saskatchewan can can the people around here calm down already. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be Trevor Harris. Uh, I if the contract is what it's been reported as, I don't know if I'm as comfortable with that, especially with the 37 year old quarterback coming in. But uh, what's your thoughts on Trevor Harris? You know what? You if you know anything about us at, at Piffles, we loved Cody Fajardo. We worked with him on a charity event. Great guy, wonderful human being. But he just, he something happened over the last two seasons. He wasn't the same quarterback he was in 2019. I, I loved what I saw from him when he came over. And it just, something, something flipped. And yes, his O-line wasn't um, professional quality last season. But a lot of those sacks were him holding the ball for you know, three, four, five seconds every play and getting hit. You know, there was no quick release. And that's what I love out of Trevor Harris is he's the guy that he doesn't, he doesn't take hits. He gets the ball, throws it. He's done. He walks away from it. He's not the guy that runs. He's not going to get you a ton of rushing yards, but he doesn't take a lot of sacks. And that's what they need. And that's why they need a lot of those, you know, those not necessarily your number one receivers. You need those quick quick slants, quick outs, quick plays. And they, you know, that's where you need to start making moves. I love the Trevor Harris signing. We all know Bo Levi was the the number one choice. That's, that's who the writers wanted. That's who everybody wanted. But I'm kind of, I'm excited to see what Harris can do with this offense. And yes, he's 37 years old, but I, I mean, I'm 38 and I compare my, you know, shape to, had to Trevor Harris, those numbers are not the same. He is in incredible shape. We saw that when he signed in Edmonton. Uh, you know, he's, he's, yeah, I'm, I'm not too concerned about his age again, because he's not that guy that takes a ton of hits. We've got a small signing to announce here. Uh, BC fullback Mario Villamizer uh, off to the Toronto Argonauts. So uh, Declan Cross retiring, I guess he's uh, coming in to fill in that role. Uh, Trey, let's get your takes. We haven't heard you talk too much riders today. You swapped out the hats, a man of many hats. Uh, you've got the riders one on now that still don't know how you ended up with that, but you did. Um, what do you think of what they've done so far and what remains to be done still? You don't tell anybody, but I look damn good in green right now. I, I can't imagine like when you got, when you took the, when you took the video away for a second, I was like, oh man, I was tired. I want to keep looking at myself, but let's go. I'm going to go. Adam took a couple of my rider-based questions, so let's go league-wide here. What signing are you kind of most the like, oh, my God, that actually happened? Is there one? Is there one that you kind of – is it the bow one? Is there something else that kind of you meant to go, oh, wow, as if that happened? 
Uh, I don't think Bo Levi's signing should really shock anybody. Once you once you trade a guy for or trade for a guy's rights, we've seen that time and time again in the CFL. It's it's a foregone conclusion. You signed with the team that took your rights. The big one to me, I have to say, was uh, Gino Lewis to Edmonton. Um, not just because he he left Montreal. There was a lot of talk about him in Saskatchewan. There was a lot of talk about him talking to basically every team. But seeing him sign for over $300,000 to me, you know, we saw last year what that did with with Kenny Lawler. When you see that huge jump in salary from, you know, from your top guy, you never come back from that. And now we're going to see these these receivers start to sign up in the high 200s, low 300s. And I'm, I'm interested to see what that will do with the salary cap as a whole. Where's that money coming from? Who's taking a hit? on the rest of the field to make that money happen because you're going to see this more and more, you know, next year is somebody going to top uh, that, that deal. I don't think so, but who knows? I don't think we would have thought that somebody would have topped Kenny Lawler's deal from last year. So it's to me, it's, it's the money that's getting thrown around more than anything. That's, that's been a surprise. Do you think that the money getting thrown around some of these teams just saying, Oh, it's a, it's a soft cap. It's a luxury tax. So what if I have to pay a fine? <laughs> well, I think Edmonton in kind of a, u- a unique position, a unique position, much like BC was last year. They're not paying their quarterbacks much of anything. You know, they they were smart and signed uh, Cornelius pre-salary cap last year. So a lot of his signing bonus was on last year's cap. So he, th- him, and Trey Ford are making next to, next to nothing. So they could afford to do this, and that's why we could see we saw what BC did last year. They did the same thing. They took that money that they weren't paying and unloaded it on their offense. I just don't know that Edmonton has the quarterback to make that work. You know, Cornelius is not Nathan Rourke. Trey Ford, not Nathan Rourke. Trey Ford, I think, has more potential. But I just don't see the same correlation there. But as soon as you see one team have any kind of success doing that, the, the CFL is very much a, a copycat league. You're going to see other teams try it, and Edmonton's uh, next up. And I just uh, got one more. Oh, one more quick one. One more quick one. And, and I, I asked our last guest. I think I'm going to ask every guest that I'm on. Home field, does it matter? Yes or no? Absolutely. Oh, With, without Everyone's a question. Against Everyone's I, against me. I, I can't see how it wouldn't. You get that noise. You get just penalties alone make a difference. There's a reason why Vegas always gives the home team a three to four point advantage on their spread. Home field advantage in the right market matters. You know, Toronto, when they weren't selling out or when they, when they weren't, it matters. Ask the bills, you know, yeah. ask those, ask some of those Ask Tampa Bay. Like it doesn't always matter. Right. But yeah, I it, get does, it doesn't get, it doesn't guarantee victory, but it sure points you in the right direction. You know, if you have two evenly matched teams, I'm going to take the home team every time. Doesn't it doesn't matter? Mike, to me. I got Mike so mad after Grey Cup <laughs> on that conversation, and I just have to bring it up now, and just because I want to get him worked up again. Yeah. Hey, it's a home field advantage for Saskatchewan. As long as we don't play Winnipeg in the uh, playoffs, we're all good. <laughs> exactly so, right. So hey, I got to ask you a little Excuse bit me. also about the defense here in Saskatchewan. I mean, we're going to lose a huge piece, I think, any time now, probably to Calgary. Uh, Darnell Sankey. Are the Riders okay still in linebacker, or Absolutely. is there another pl- or is there another place you think that we could use something in defense? To me, I'm looking at the defensive back and saying we could use somebody maybe as a Mike Adam replacement at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, give us some thoughts on the linebacker and uh, secondary positions in Saskatchewan. Well, I'd be shocked if uh, Adam doesn't sign back here at some point during uh, the the next week or so. I think he, much like Dan Clark, except Dan Clark is obviously the uh, um, the local kid, but he's kind of made his situation here. I, I see him signing um, at least for one more year. To me, I don't think the loss of Sankey is as big a deal as we're going to expect. You know, you've got yeah Micah Tights, you've got Larry Dean, uh, you've got Moncrief. That's three quality linebackers. You know, yes, it, it sucks to to lose a guy who in my opinion, was, if not the most outstanding defensive player, he was right up there last year. Sankey is a top-end linebacker. And to me, I would have paid him more than than they paid Adam Big Hill. I think he's that guy. 
and he's and he's still young enough that you can rely on him for years. But I think they have the players there that you're not going to notice that drop off. And then when you look at what they've done on the defensive line, I don't think you're going to need to rely on your linebackers as much as you did last year. Pete Robertson, Anthony Lanier, um, what was his name out of uh, Banks? Uh, Stephen Banks, Banks, Micah and, Johnson. Yeah. And Micah Johnson's the other big one. Lanier and Johnson in the middle, show me a better interior in the CFL, and I'll call you a liar. Those two are line eaters. They're going to do a ton of damage together. Pete Robertson was, to me, the best defensive end until he got hurt. I, I think I think between Robertson and Lanier, we didn't see enough of them last year because of injury and missing games to really understand how good they're going to be in 2023. And I think your your front seven is obviously your key. And they've got that in spades. You know? And we looked at la- if you look at last year, we did the same thing. We kind of exploded our defense and our offense was left to uh, to kind of manage the rest. That's the one thing that concerns me is, are we doing the same thing again this year? Uh, but as for uh, as for the defensive backfield, I really like that new kid they signed. Uh, and I wish I had I had his name written down on my desk somewhere. And uh, Lord knows you never see it when you forget or when you need it. But it's the um, the rookie I'll, out of... Um, I'll, pull him up. I'll pull him up for you here on screen. Yeah. Let's take a look. Uh, we don't have anybody at linebacker uh, or at defensive back. Here's who they currently have under contract. Uh, Nick Marshall, Roland Milligan, uh, Jordan Bayou, Jeremy Clark, Nelson Lacombo, the, the the biggest names here. Yeah, it was it was the, they signed them late yesterday. And I'm just gonna bring it, I'm gonna bring it up here because it's gonna bug me until I until I get through to it. Um, uh, Leon O'Neill Jr. Ah, he's ah. there at the bottom. Of course, I see it just as I did. Um, he looks great. Um and I, I have a lot of high hopes for him. Um, Clark was another big one. Uh, Jeremy Clark. That's uh, another guy that uh, I expect leaps and bounds in twenty in 2023. And then you added Nick Marshall and Roland Milligan. That's a great front four to me. And that's assuming uh, uh, O'Neill Jr. makes the starting roster. But I think there's enough, there's enough players there to put together a quality five. Um, assuming, again, that Edom comes back for 2023 and you have that that safety back but I, I nothing in the defensive side of the field really worries me this year i uh, we've shown time and time again that they can find guys to fill those holes it's it's the offense and the offense alone that uh that scares me so so you're good with where they're at on defense they've started to make some moves on the offense that we've talked about already a couple of receivers quarterback offensive line uh, moving forward in free agency here, what's what's next for the Riders? Where are you looking for them to focus on? Uh, I guess you kind of, you know, touched on they need to. You're not happy with the offense, so what kind of players are you looking for them to hopefully bring in here yet? You know, I'm really liking the. I I was really high on obviously Greg Ellingson or Geno Lewis um, as that number one guy. I think Rashid Bailey is another guy that they could look at and and pick up as a number one or at least you know you throw out two or three number two guys and I think Rashid Bailey's getting pretty close the riders were in um, contact with Kamar Jordan uh, he's another guy that I think could come in and uh, and have an effect on the starting roster as we've got it right now um, they're great at Canadian you know you got Keon Schaefer Baker uh, Emilis um, uh, Brayden Lenius I wouldn't be surprised to see them sign uh, another or draft another when uh, when the draft hits. But it's that American receiver, that number one guy that they need to find. And there, I don't know that there's a lot out there. You know, when you lo- as soon as you lost um, Greg Ellingson off that board, it it's there's no clear number one between after him and Lewis uh, went elsewhere. So I mean, I would love to see either Rashid Bailey, Kamar Jordan. Or, or one somebody like that with that uh, that kind of that number one pedigree to to come in and and be the guy. Now you had the experience over in Saskatchewan of hosting the Grey Cup this past season. A lot of talk last off season was on the Riders trying to make the, all, all the moves possible to get the, <laughs> the home Grey Cup. Seems Hamilton's doing that this off season. I mean, a lot of moves so far for the Tie Cats. They've been very active in free agency. 
what do you think of what they've done so far uh, with the, and I guess touch on the pressure of hosting the great cup. This is a question, I guess, for both of you and Adam as, as you know, Saskatchewan folks uh, having just gone through that last year, what is it like watching your team in free agency, knowing the cup is being hosted in your own city? There, there is an absolute spotlight on the team hosting the game every year. And we see it time and time again, where, where teams try to load up for that great cup year. I think the only real exception over the last decade has been Calgary. They don't seem to load up like every other team. It's weird. They've actually made free agent signings today. And I, I don't know how to feel about that. That just seems odd to me, but Hamilton is, you know, the moment you go out and get a pissed off Bo Levi Mitchell, I think that was the smartest thing they could do. They've made a ton of great moves. And that's a franchise that needs a great cup. They haven't won one in this millennia. That We're talking 24 years in a, in a nine-team league. You know, we used to be the butt of those jokes. Winnipeg used to be the butt of those jokes. Right now, it's 100% Hamilton until they win one. And getting so close like they did uh, two years ago uh, where, they, where they lost it at home and should have won that game. They were the better team that day and lost. I mean, they, there's a lot of pressure now to to kind of load up and and get that monkey off their back. We saw what happened with Winnipeg. They hadn't won in 30 years. They win one, suddenly they're, you know, oh, we're just going to do it again just because we can, right? Like, they need to get that pressure off that franchise or it's going to get harder and harder every year to, to win it, you know? Teams are going to continue to surpass them, um, but I do like what they've done so far. Um, I'm I'm genuinely surprised that they haven't signed Simone Lawrence, and I really hope that the Riders sign Simone Lawrence just for the chaos, because I don't think there's anything more chaotic than watching a franchise or fan base have to completely flip script, um, and you know, suddenly love a guy like we did with Dwight Anderson in 2013. It's it's just entertaining to me. And I don't remember seeing a guy as hated by a fan base as Simone Lawrence is in Saskatchewan. So that that to me is, I hope he goes back to, to Hamilton and he can win that great cup at home. But I'd love to see it here just for, just for the chaos and entertainment. I'm all in on that one because let's face it, I mean, pretty much Regina old burn as the plane lands, but uh, nevertheless, uh, yeah, no, Hamilton's done a very good job of picking up a lot of good players so far in free agency. I really like actually their signing of Duke Williams it, with a caveat on that. I mean, they got to have the coaching and I think Tommy Condell would be the guy to go and control what he does on and off field. If he does, that's a great signing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They got their number one receiver. I was going to just suggest one guy as a number one receiver and see what you think, Steve. Uh, I was looking at Darrell Walker. He's 32 years old. He's he's the right age to be a good veteran in the room. Yes, he hasn't had the two good seasons here. Could he fit, uh, turn it around and maybe be a number one in Saskatchewan? I don't, I don't know if I would rely on him again to be that number one guy anymore. For some reason, I keep forgetting he's in his early 30s. It seems like he's been around forever. Um, I could see it. You know, that he's a he's a guy that likely comes in a little cheaper than, you know, your Geno Lewis, your Rashid Bailey's, those, those guys that are young with that, you know, the past couple seasons of success. Again, I don't know that I would want to rely on him as your your number one. I excuse me, I don't know if there is really that guy left on the board. I just worry. And Hamilton signing Duke Williams, great signing, great player, but you you have to stick with him. He is, what's that, what's that saying? A million dollar talent and a 10 cent brain. Like when he gets on the field, he just, it doesn't seem like he can control that temper, that attitude. He takes dumb penalties, but if you could rein him in, he is a clear number one. He is a guy that makes any team he would be on better instantly. There is not a, a team on this league that in this league that would not be improved by uh, Duke Williams uh, at at the at at the top of his game. 
I got one here. I'm sorry, I got a crying baby in the background. Let's try to get this in. Um, what's your thoughts on your two ex Rough Riders, um, Bajardo and Moss, now being the two headed, whatever going on in Montreal? What, what, how bad of a dumpster fire do you think that's going to be? I, you know what? For some reason, I feel like it'll work there. I don't know why. I have no, there's no sensible reason why it should work. Like the two were like oil and water, something didn't click. But there was no other team that was going to sign Cody Fajardo. He is he had one starting spot left, and that was in Montreal. So if he wanted to start in the CFL, he had to go back with Jason Moss. It just surprised me after what was very clearly a bad season between the two, where they didn't mesh and they didn't mesh publicly. That's the part. Like there was no love loss between the two out loud. And yet he's their day one of free agency i it's weird to me but again money talks right you're not going to get that starting salary anywhere else in the league so you might as well go and see if you can work things out and you know maybe a different old line and uh receiving core will be will be what does wonders for him when you start to think about also with some of these guys like somebody like Fajardo who clearly had a tough time last season that maybe a fresh start without all the off-field distractions is going to be better for him. And then he picks the one place that might have more off-field distractions than, than there seemed to be in Saskatchewan last year. So I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what happens with it. That's for sure. But on the flip side, you have to remember he's going from – a massive pressure cooker in Saskatchewan. And it became fairly clear pretty early on in 2021 that he didn't seem to handle that pressure very well. And you could see it start to degrade over the last year and a half. Like the comments he made to close out last season uh, were, were not a guy that had the confidence you need to be QB1 in Saskatchewan. And I think that's why the riders had to move on. He just couldn't handle that that pressure cooker. Whereas in Montreal, you know, they've they've got the Canadians, they've got the um, Montreal. What's there? Is it Montreal FC, CF, the Montreal, the MLS team? They've they've got other teams that are the 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 go-to teams where they're the guys, right? He can kind of blend in a little bit more and just be a quarterback, just be a football player and get back to doing what he does best. I just don't know how it'll work, but I think you're right. The change of scenery and that different environment will absolutely be good for him. And I hope he does great. 16 games, actually 17, because we don't play, he doesn't play in Saskatchewan this year, Uh, but 17 games this year. I hope he absolutely goes off. He can win an MOP for all I care. Nothing but love for the guy. We just, there was a clear need for a change from both sides. Can can I bring that up also, the scheduling for the CFL this year? I mean, first of all, you don't have Fajardo going back to Saskatchewan. Next, you don't have Bo Levi going to Calgary. And now you don't have Gino Lewis also going to Montreal. <laughs> what are we doing here? I, I understand that they're trying to save money and build rivalries by, uh, by having that... Um, you know, the different schedule than they have. I, I wish they would just go back to you, play every team twice, once home, once away, and you fill the rest of your schedule with conference games. It's a clear, simple way to do it. And you get the chance to have these, because Bo Levi Mitchell needs to play in Calgary. He has to. And, you know, Cody Fajardo in Saskatchewan, he was only here a couple of years, but that's still, that's another big game. We saw what happened when Durant came back. You know, it was a big deal on the calendar. You need to see it, and the the league needs to go back to that home and away, and you fill your last three games with one more conference game. It just makes sense. I don't know why they've changed. I don't get it. I don't like it. But it is what it is. And that's something we can continue to debate all offseason as well, the schedule, until we actually have games to start talking about. Uh, Steve, I know we got to let you go here right away. You're a busy guy. you got lots on on your plate here today. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us, first of all, here on Free Agent Frenzy. And uh, plug your podcast, plug anything else you want to plug. Uh, where can people find everything you've got going on these days? Well, it was absolutely my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you're looking to reach out to us, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Safamod. Uh, find our podcast everywhere you find your podcast. It's Pipples Podcast. Or check us out. We, uh, we throw up articles quite regularly, pipplespodcast.com.
Right on. Well, then uh, we'll let you go here. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of CFL free agency and the eventual season once it begins. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day out there. All right. Take care, Steve. Let him go. And Adam, are you sticking around or you got to drop off here shortly as well? I've, I think I got probably another 15 minutes in me and then I got to get going. But uh, yeah, I'd like to start this interview up uh, at least the next one that's coming up. So. Sounds good. Well, let, let's take a quick two minutes here to uh, we got to reset things. We'll make sure uh, Daltz is ready to go in the background. Uh, well, you'll see the uh, be right back screen for about two minutes here. Uh, just to reset at the top of the hour, and then we will kick things off with another hour here on CFL Free Agent Frenzy on the Canadian Football Countdown.